Despite opposition from nearly every business group in the country, the Albanese government is doggedly pushing ahead with its speedy changes to workplace reforms. The government managed to get its bill through the House of Representatives on Thursday, quite convincingly, by making some concessions on its multi-employer bargaining provisions, but the Senate is shaping up to be quite the fight. Crossbent's uh, Senators Jackie Lambie and David Pocock have made it clear they'd rather have more time to consider this omnibus bill, but they don't want to be seen to be standing in the way of pay rises for low-paid sectors either. So if the Albanese government can get its bill through, what will it actually mean for business and workers? We felt an explainer was in order. And accordingly, I'm pleased to welcome back to the program Professor John Buchanan, a long-time Labor workplace analyst, now from the Sydney University Business School. Thank you for joining us, John. Thanks for having me. So how does multi-employer bargaining work? It's a bit of a mouthful. Mm. This bill leaves some scope for interpretation, really. That's my understanding. Is that right? Yes. Well, um, to put it in context for... Uh, the last 30 years or so, people, if they've wanted to use uh, unions and negotiate it, an agreement, have had to do so at an enterprise or workplace level. There have been uh, capacities to do things on a multi-employer basis, but they've been very restrictive and have hardly been used. What the government's proposing here are three different options for doing it. Uh, for low-paid workers they're, um, and vulnerable workers, they're looking at creating what's called a supportive bargaining stream. Uh, and that's for childcare workers, aged care workers, cleaners and the like. There's a, a second stream which is uh, called single interest bargaining and that's the one that's probably least defined and um, most am ambiguous but potentially the most um, interesting mm. from an innovation point of view and that's saying if the commission and unions can make a case that uh, there's a, a common interest upon a group of uh, employees, they can be bundled together and forced to bargain. And that's the one that's, to bargain. And that's the one that's really right. getting employers upset. And then there's a third stream which is fairly innocuous and that is if everyone agrees you can have multi-employer bargaining. Where at the moment, even if you agree, there's a whole lot of hurdles to, to have that kind of coordination. That will get rid of those hurdles. But there are those three things. The, the support and, in, in a sense, low-wage stream, the single interest screen, which is people having common mm. uh, problems and then being forced to bargain. And then there's the agreed stream. Uh, now, I, I promised people an explainer, so mm. I'd just like to ask some questions. Sure. For people who are not in unions at all, but in places where workplace uh, arrangement, workplace agreements yes. stand, are they affected by this? They shouldn't be. No, the, the government's had a lot of exemptions and they're, they're going to keep the primacy of enterprise agreements in place. The, the multi-employer agreements won't be overriding those, those arrangements. So again, the, you know, because there's far fewer people in unions anyway, yep. uh, um, do, are, are they reinserting themselves in a lot of these discussions? Is, is that a subtext. Yes, I think there's that's a fair enough point and I think that's the case in most labor law systems around the world. Uh, it's commonly recognized that <clears throat> unions don't just represent their members, they represent a class of work. So they're actually uh, custodians for a, a domain of an occupation or an industry. And that's not, you know, peculiar to this particular act. It's saying uh, unions have a right as the voice for a class of work to say something is uh, legitimate or not legitimate in terms of moving forward. Where's, now, that's where's that happening? Well, um, 
that's in like, like like in France, in um, Germany. There's what's called extension clauses. You, uh, most of the Nordics, uh, Nordic countries have these provisions. It's it's an idea that um, labour law is not just simply the aggregation of individual contracts of employment. You're dealing with people who are in a common situation. And okay, now that's interesting because mm. that's a nice segue to yeah. the history. So that yeah. that means that they've acquired a sort of standing yes. by the sound of it, what yeah. which is the accumulation of a century and a half of, of involvement. Um, yes. Is that what we're seeing? Because I wanted to ask you, yeah. you know, what's been a, a quick sketch yes. of how we've got here? What has been the situation for, say, the last 30 to 50 years? Well, can we go a bit further back completely? Because right. I think that really helps. You've got to remember that... Up to 1871, unions were crimes. To organise as a union, you were, you were in a criminal conspiracy, right? And so the underlying law of Australia and the UK and New Zealand, unions are conspiracies. And you then had legislation come over the top of that and say, no, just because you get together to talk about pay doesn't make you criminals. We then then had arbitration, which uh, came in in the 1890s and early part of the 20th century, which says... We've got conflict in our society. We need to have order. We have to have a new province of law and order. And that's where they said, we're going to give recognition to unions as representing classes of work so that we can have orderly discussions and reach, and where we can't reach agreements, industrial courts will make awards. That's where we get the concept Mm -hmm. of awards. That system prevailed pretty well from the early 20th century through to the um, uh, 1980s. 90s, and that's when the big change came. 1991, it was the Keating government in the 91 Act and the 93 Act broke the system into two. It said there's an award system for those who can't bargain and there's a bargaining system for those who can. And the system's been segmented ever since. And uh, what's happened is that uh, where you uh, have weak union representation, you very rarely get collective agreements. So you'll, and this is common in most countries, where you have a, an enterprise bargaining system, the reach of enterprise agreements is about the same as union coverage. So, you know, we've seen a decline in enterprise bargaining coverage as you've seen a decline in unionism. And so the, this is where we've got a system now that is basically broken. It's, it's not actually a, an economy-wide system of dynamic bargaining. It's a kind of quarantine system of bargaining to a very confined part of the economy. And what did the Keating government, why were they so keen on changing that or allowing it to change? Sure. Well, Keating had a vision of uh, everyone negotiating agreements. Um, uh, this was shared by uh, the ACTU at the time. It was part of the productivity agenda. They said that we wanted to use enterprise bargaining to foster workplace change and on that basis get a productivity breakout. The employers at the time, the Business Council of Australia, promised a 25% surge in labour productivity if we went down this route. Um, there was a lot of ideology here and uh, conflicting facts. I actually built my um, foundations as a researcher as part of a team that surveyed 2,500 workplaces in uh, 1990, 1991, just as this system was coming in. And we actually found when you actually went to workplaces, the system was not nearly as rigid or as inflexible as was asserted. But policy just ran straight over the top of this data. I mean, there's been a lot of ideology here and very um, limited engagement with engagement with, with data. And we're seeing that still, you know, the productivity Commission's putting stuff out saying multi-employer bargaining is going to be a threat to economic performance. The Reserve Bank's putting its hand up. These economic agencies have a very weak understanding of the actual realities of how um, 
bargaining arrangements shape the evolution of labour markets? Well, the key question, do you think the this bill will have an impact on pay? And that's what its stated sure. aim is, whether that is the real aim. <laughs> You're introducing yes. other... In, in, but um, clearly the government believes that that system isn't yes. going to deliver, no yes. matter what everybody says, the pay rises that are wanted. Look, they've had 30 years. Like We've had a 30-year experiment with this um, system of enterprise bargaining. It's failed. You know, For the bulk of the workforce, it has failed. That's pure and simple. Um, and you've got to remember, it's taken 30 years to get to this point. You cannot flick the switch and go back. Uh, the government, and this is why I think the government is so um, earnest in its need to move quickly. It's just trying to get the foundations in. You know, it's it's digging the ditches and it's going to fill in the cement for the foundations. But to actually get an effective system to really shift wages share of GDP, that's going to take another 10, 20 years. And so what they're talking about is stopping the decline that we've had and putting in a, a floor and then shifting the trajectory of evolution. We won't see a wages breakout coming from here. And you've got to remember... Even you don't think this is going a breakout, but I mean, yeah. is there going to be an improvement? Well, what their focus is the low-paid sector, and we've already seen an early decision from the Commission, which is good, you know, for, um, I think it was aged care workers, and we've got to, uh, th- that will be critical, but you've got to remember, they these are small parts of the economy. You know, the Australian Labor Force has got around 12 million people in it. Even if you're a big sector like um, aged care is going to have several hundred thousand, that's not going to be inflationary. It's not the low-wage sector that causes inflation. If you look at any wage system around the world, wage standards aren't set by the poor, the weakest workers. And this, the, the thing, thing, thing people have got to keep remember about this, the government is putting in multi-employer bargaining for the weakest parts of the workforce. This is catch-up. This isn't about letting the, the wages of the strong set a new standard which flow through to the wages of the weak. That's usually the way a collective bargaining system works. The strong set the standard and then that is the reference point for the rest of the system. That's not what's being proposed to you. This government is putting in place a system to allow those at the bottom to try and catch up. Now, of course, the people writing, uh, and I've been reading them, Innes Willocks, for instance, from the yes, Australian Industry yes. Group, said that y- people like yourselves are yeah. a mis not understanding the way it actually works in in bargaining these yeah. days. That if you take out the mining industry, yes. um, there's actually been there hasn't been this steady deterioration of wage rates. Um, that in fact there has been a capacity to bargain effectively for people. How how would you answer him? For those who are in the well organised, you know, active bargaining sector, that is the case. But you know, you're talking about six or seven percent of the workforce. Even a lot of people who are on agreements are on pretty shabby agreements. Um, you've got to remember that the employers have had it good for thirty years. We're seeing all these. Um, shrill statements coming from the business community, they've had 30 years to try and do something about lifting wages for the workforce at large. They, they clearly failed. And I think this is where the government's right. We need a new way of thinking about how we share the gains of our prosperity. Um, and for the people who say, and presumably people like Paul Keating mm-hmm. and others said, look, Australians are now very educated. Mm-hmm. They actually can argue for themselves yes. that it's slightly demeaning to have to sort of put themselves in the hands of others. You know, would you say that the evidence just suggests that's wrong, would you? Absolutely. Look, look I've never been impressed with Paul Keating's grasp of the labour market and that, that informed the, these design uh, principles back in the 90s. It's recognised in every labour law system in the OECD that there are deep inequalities of bargaining power. That's not unique to Australia. You know, that's across Europe. It's in, in the North America. 
even in our modern world, even uh, people with high qualifications, there's often underutilisation of skilled workers. Often, and there's a if you even if you look now, there's low unemployment, but there's still an awful lot of underutilised skills. People are scared. People are not, uh, and they can only overcome that if they organise collectively. And this is a new way of thinking about how people coordinate their claims. All right, John Buchanan, I can just see the line, the text line opening up right now. <laughs> Paul Keating on the phone too. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. I appreciate that context. Thanks for having me. Professor John Buchanan uh, from the Sydney University Business School. Uh, plenty of ahead, of course, on that discussion. The bill has to get through the Senate first and uh, quite a few of you with very strong views about how uh, um, how the wage rates system has been used, you know, in different ways in our system. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.